Hello. Welcome to the podcast. This is the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast, in case you are just now turning in for the first time ever. Right. Hi, Dars. How's it going? Hi. <laughs> I'm doing well. I just finished um, a super hard bike ride. Uh, it was a 60-minute climb, so it was literally just 60 minutes of just pure climbing, and it was so hard. But my legs are jello, um, so now I'm just going to sit and in your not sweaty, move them for an mess. hour <laughs> so to get them all, <laughs> all stiff and Sweet. injury. Yeah. Absolutely fabulous. Yeah. It's always good to get a nice workout in on a Sunday afternoon. It felt good. It felt really good. I haven't worked out, really. I've been walking. Yeah. <laughs> Taking nice little walks through the neighborhood. And I got to tell you, it's so cold here right now. Yes. <laughs> it's like zero yeah, degrees. I can see like out your window. It just, it looks cold. It's all frozen. It's so freaking cold. And everything is ice. Like yeah. we had like rain came down and then it snowed on top of it. And like mm-hmm. I got out of the car the other night and I ate <gasps> so bad. And really? the thing is I didn't fall like normal. You know, normally you just slide and you land on your butt. Yeah. I slid down on my front leg and landed on my ankle and my knee. Oh my God. Like I slid forward and my leg slid, my right leg slid behind me and I landed kind of on my knee on the ice and my butt hit my ankle and extended my foot. Uh If that makes any sense. My foot was like fully like down underneath me. So my heel hit my butt. Uh Uh-huh. And I was a little bit drunk. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I fell and then I just was like, ow, that kind of hurt. And I sort of popped back up and I was like, I walked in the house and the next day, oh my God, my entire leg from my hip down to my toes is just on fire. Yeah. I feel it's not, I don't think it's torn, but it's definitely like bruised. Yeah. It hurts. (laughs) I'm like, oh, that was not cool. Like who falls like that? Normally I just fall on my butt. Like I've done it a million times. I don't know. You have some weird falling stories though like you fell and broke your face i fell up <laughs> up the stairs yeah, yeah. so i mean I i've know. literally fallen down the stairs so many times i can't even count anymore <laughs> just like miss the step and then just down the stairs yeah. on my backside um that's always a fun one but yeah our, i'm loving the neighborhood because we have a little fox that lives out behind our house and he's yeah. so cute and so like now I'm obsessed with foxes on social media like I follow all these foxes and I look at their videos and they're just so cool so we named him we have we had a fox in our old neighborhood that we used to see occasionally his name was Wendell and the fox that lives over here I call him Cornelius Cornelius nice so, I like that Cornelius the little fox often runs behind where where I'm sitting right here down mm-hmm. past the pool room and over on the other side down by the river and we saw his paw prints going down to the river at one point, too. So I don't know if he's, like, going down there to get a little little drink of water or, like, what's yeah. going on? Do they, I mean, yeah, I guess maybe water or... But it's frozen right now. It's frozen oh. solid. So, like, I don't know what he'd be doing down there. Maybe sniffing out ducks or geese or something, which is weird. Because I thought ducks were supposed to fly south for the winter. They're all up here. Uh, like, the geese and the ducks and everything are up here. They might be, like, Canadian geese that flew... They, they, they still flew south, but you're just, you're south from where they were. I don't know, man. These little guys, I don't know how they do it. Like, and where they go when the water's all frozen solid. Did you ever see um, uh, Fried Green Tomatoes? A uh, long, long, long time ago. When, when he tells the girl the story about how um, the geese, they, or the ducks, they, they were staying in the, in like this pond up north and it froze solid. And when they're. It was time for the ducks to fly south for the winter. They 
flew south and they picked the pond up and they dropped it no. in the south. And that's, yeah, that's what he says in the story. It's not true, obviously. That's what he says in the story. Fried Green Tomatoes. That's a good movie. Solid movie. Yeah, I watched yeah. Um, Mystic Pizza the other night for the first time. In, Ooh, like, I've not seen I, that in years yeah like netflix is really like popping up a lot of really it's on netflix yeah it's on netflix right now so i watched it i was like oh my god this movie i have not and i couldn't remember a lot of it because i hadn't seen it in years and i was you know what i watched the other day it's a newer one um once upon a time in hollywood have you seen that Uh uh-uh so you know what it's about it's about it's a tarantino one and it's about like the charlie manson's in it and sharon tate oh god and all that it's yeah. not about that. Like, it's really about Leonardo DiCaprio is this, like, old, washed-up actor, and Brad Pitt is his stunt double. double. What? And the story is about them, and, like, they they live next to Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. That's crazy. So, it's... It's hard to it's, imagine Leonardo DiCaprio as a washed-up actor, first of right? all. Right, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then Brad Pitt as his stunt double. As a like, stunt double, right? right? Yeah. No. Yeah, so, um, I'll reserve my thoughts, but... Yeah, I'll reserve my thoughts on that. I started watching the Netflix documentary, too, about uh, Lisa Lamb. <gasps> How was it? I haven't finished it, so I want to oh, okay. reserve my... But I started. I like. I just got... We started drinking, and you know how that mm-hmm. goes. It's like 1 mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning, and you're watching something, and you your eyes start to blur, and mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty soon you fall asleep. So I think I might go start it again and, and, yeah. and try watching it, but... I've seen so many documentaries and specials on that particular story that right. I don't know what they're really going to be able to to tell me that's not already been said. What do you think? Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's going to be uncovering any new information. I mean, it doesn't seem like there's new information to uncover, really. No. Like outside of the police uncovering new information, you know? Yeah. So. so. Okay, let's jump into the main case for the day. Let's do it. Um, I am going to talk about, and I don't know if you know this woman by name, but I'm sure you have heard the story. And this is about the life of Fuzia Azim, otherwise known as Kandil Balok. Okay. She was born March 1st, 1990 in Punjab, India. She was one of nine children, two sisters and six brothers belonging to her parents, Anwar Bibi and Mohammed Azim. The family was poor, and they earned kind of a meager living as farmers. And I think that that's not necessarily unusual for that particular area, but let's kind of take a step back for a moment and talk about the Punjab region of India. Okay. It's a geographical and geopolitical, cultural, historical region in South Asia in the northern part of the Indian subcontinent, just as a reference. All right. It includes areas of Pakistan and northern India okay. as well. Okay, so it's on right? the Pakistan side. Yeah, so okay. it's got a combination of India and Pakistan in gotcha. that region. Um, but the boundaries for this part of the world are not really super defined. Right. Um, although they are made mention of in numerous historical accounts, the area's definition has changed much over time. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a region that is very rich in culture and stands heavily upon tradition, the people in that area. The people of Punjab are Punjabis, and they speak primarily a language called Punjabi as well, sort of all of it within that same name. The prominent religion for the region is Islam, um, but they also have Sikhism and Hinduism holding prominent roles as well. And then some smaller branches of more minor religious sects are also included within that. But the region has long been considered the cradle for the Indus Valley civilization, so sort of the cradle of civilization, one of the oldest areas of, of civilization, essentially. 
Um, and in historic accounts, the area has also been invaded by Persians, Indo-Greeks, Indo-Scythians, Kushans, Macedonians, Turks, Mongols, Arabs, Pushtuns, British, and many other invaders. Because this area is, not only is it a fertile area where lots of food is grown, but it is just a cultural mecca, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and people wanted to, to have it as part of their empire, so they were always attacking it and trying to add it to their own empire. Most of the foreign invasions involved the Maha region, which was a very productive region in the central part of Punjab. Okay. This area is considered one of the most significant areas of culture and traditions, as well as being the breadbasket for both India and Pakistan. Uh, The word Punjab itself is traced back to Sanskrit, meaning the rivers, quite literally, because the region includes an area where at least five rivers come together to flow into the ocean. So essentially the word Punjab means the land of five waters. Oh, okay. So the, the um, climate in that area, there are three main seasons and then two transitional periods. So unlike our, you know, four seasons here where I'm at, and then California, you have like basically two seasons in California. Yeah. But there's a hot season from mid-April to the end of June where temperatures often reach up to 120 degrees. Sure. So it's a little bit more like, you know, Arizona and some areas of Southern California. Yeah. Um, the monsoon season is from July to September and is a period of heavy, of heavy rainfall. The season provides much of the water uh, for the crops and flows through well-established canals and irrigation systems, which is also they're one of the countries to have some of the oldest canals and irrigation systems in the world. Um, and then there's a transitional period after the monsoon season where the climate is cooler and mild, leading to the winter season where the temperatures get down to about 40 degrees. So it's it's like Southern California, okay. except maybe maybe a little hotter. Yeah. And then there's an, another transitional period between winter and the hot season where heavy rain and hail can sometimes suddenly occur. In general, 64.8% of the country is Islam, 19% is Hindu, 15.4% is Sikhism, and a very, very small percentage is other. And historically, like I said earlier, this is one of the most fertile regions in the world. They produced a large portion of the food supply for for India and Pakistan, and that's why the region is referred to as the breadbasket. Um, okay. That their extensive crops growing include wheat, cotton, rice, sugarcane, fruit, and veggies. Um, in in the last census, farmers made up about thirty nine percent of the Punjab workforce. So a very very large portion of the workforce in the Punjab region region is farmers. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go back to Fazia Azim. Her parents okay. helped make up part of that thirty nine percent of the workforce, earning their living kind of meagerly as a farming family to support those nine kids. Can you imagine having nine kids? Like how expensive no. that would be? No. Just incredibly, incredibly. And, and that probably contributed in, in a small uh, way towards their not being necessarily that prosperous as a family. Sure. You have nine kids. That's very expensive. Yeah. I have a friend, I have a friend that has six boys. One of them is about to graduate college and the other one has not yet started kindergarten. Yeah, I can't even. I'm like, how, how do you have any money? Like, you're, right? you don't get to retire. Food alone <laughs> is probably yeah. extra, incredibly expensive. Expensive, but if they're a farming family, they're great boys, though. I should say. Yeah, I mean, if they're a farming family, like they probably are able to grow some of their own food, and so it's right. probably not quite as expensive. But that just still seems like it would be a very, very expensive life mm-hmm. to live. Um, but Fazio was different from a very young age. 
Um, she showed no interest in being normal or traditional. She loved acting, singing, and getting attention. And this is a very, very dramatic departure from the more traditional tenets of what young Punjabi women were taught. Okay. In particular, in the Islam religion, where women are taught very conservative values and they're meant to sort of exemplify feminism and men were meant to exemplify masculinity. And there was a very mm -hmm. drastic and dramatic line between those two things. Okay. Traditionally, the woman's sphere of influence in this part of the world is in the home, caring for the family. Mm -hmm. And um, this is not to say in their culture that women were necessarily considered, considered inferior, but they were just different. They were supposed to be modest. They were supposed to be raising the children, spending their time and energy essentially mm -hmm. on that. And they're, they're very delineated roles, male right. and female roles. Yeah. And I don't in any way want to um, say or imply that this you know, is an inferior way or this is a bad way to do things, but that's just, this is the different way that they do things in that part that's of the their world. culture. Right. Women are educated in that part of the world and they do hold positions of power. They're not limited in that aspect, but mm -hmm. the culture is very different and they don't grow up in the same way that young women grow up here and are influenced here in the U.S. So I just want to make that very, very clear. Mm -hmm. Modesty is a very important and main tenet, particularly in dressing modestly. Both men and women are taught that, that they're not to display their bodies, specifically necks, ankles, and below the elbow. People wear veils. They want to cover their faces, their hair, etc. It's considered a sign of respect to God to cover your hair, and that has been the norm in that region. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily just the norm for Islam. It has also been the norm for Christianity right. and religion running back many, many years. So I don't want to make it sound like this is an Islam thing because it's not. Um, mm -hmm. But in that region, it's the sign of modesty and respect before God to cover your hair and your face and keep your eyes downcast and things like that. So uh, a good portion of this society is very firmly entrenched, even today, in these traditions and rules that here in the U.S. we sometimes consider old-fashioned and we don't understand them and we tend to look down on people that maybe wear like a, something covering their face or their hair, but this is not the case there. Mm -hmm. um, although this is a very kind of a rigid severity to the rules and the traditions in the Punjab region and they're very steeped in historical practices. Um, but Fuzia, she wanted something different and she knew this from a very young age and her parents allowed her, I think, a little bit more leeway than I think would normally have been allowed. Maybe she was a younger child. Maybe they were just like, we don't have the time and energy to, you know, push mm -hmm. her down or control her in the way that we have. We've got to take care of the other kids. We've got to take care of the farm. And so she was allowed to kind of swim in the canal outside of her house, which was unheard of. Yeah. Um, so clearly had, they had a soft spot for her and they let her get mm -hmm. away with some of the more non-traditional escapades that I think she normally would not have been in a traditional family. Mm -hmm. um, she wanted to be famous. She wanted to have money. She wanted to be wealthy. And she wanted people to know her name. And this was like absolutely unheard of for a young girl in this region. Especially when you're taught like modesty is the way to go about things. Like, yeah. that, that's very different from yeah. being this famous is like, and people knowing your name and all of that. Think about our culture and how we treat young women and what mm -hmm. they're allowed to do. And then think of the exact opposite of that. And that is this region where this young woman grew up. And as you can imagine, these sorts of ideals were dramatically different from us, right? Mm -hmm. um, and here's this young girl from a farming family living in a house with mud walls and mud floors 
and all of her brothers and sisters are doing odd jobs to support the family and they're all fitting within this culture and doing what they're told to do and living the way they're expected to and women and her sisters in particular were showing her that hey once you get to a certain age you're expected to stay home you're expected to keep house care for the kids go off get married etc and just repeat that pattern over and over and over Mm -hmm. again but Azim's village was like some sort of history book, I think, like stepping out of something like way back when. And it's hard to believe that, you know, she was born in 1990 and this is how it was then. Yeah. It's yeah. it's hard for us to kind of understand this and to, to realize that people in other parts of the world live like this and mud floors and mud walls, yeah. like just, it's incredible. Um, the more traditional burqas were worn here in this region as well. And even though... These were slightly different. They had a more conservative construction to them, which was composed of sort of a funnel at the top. So they did not have cut spaces within the burqa for their eyes and mouth. They had like a funnel on the top so that the the airflow could get through. And I'll post a picture of it on the social media account. But And in some parts of this region, they wouldn't even give the, the females shoes because they wanted them to always be looking down to check where their feet were walking as opposed to looking someone in the face and and looking at other people. Hmm. That it was more important for them to have their eyes downcast as a shine of respect. And if they didn't have shoes, then they would always have to have their their eyes down at their feet to make sure Hmm. they weren't stepping on something. Okay. Which sounds barbaric, but, um, and especially when it's 120 degrees, I can't imagine walking in your bare feet on the ground. It just is incredible. Azim grew up in this environment surrounded by women and her sisters who got married at a very young age and started families and they had no further aspirations, but Azim was stuck and she knew she was going to do something different. Even though at the age of 17, she was married off to her mother's cousin. Now, There's sort of some conflicting stories about this particular marriage. Some say it was a forced marriage that was arranged. And then the man that she was married to came forward at a later time and claimed that it was a love marriage and not arranged at all. So there's a little bit of a dispute as to that part of the story. But she was married at the age of 17 and she was very, very unhappy. And she was complaining to her parents frequently that her husband beat her and abused her Mm. and that she was very unhappy. She did have a son, basically fulfilling one of her wifely duties, because that was, mm-hmm. you know, considered the woman's duty to keep the house, to bear the children, and 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 you know, continue the family line, etc. Um, but instead of settling her down, as many people had hoped, Azim actually got worse, and she was even more unhappy. And she was going home to her parents as much as she could and complaining to them, saying, "I don't want to be here. I don't want to be with this man. I'm very unhappy." And they would take her back to her mm-hmm. husband. And I think that this is part of a tenet that's this longstanding belief within this region that once a girl leaves home and becomes part of her husband's home, the only way she can leave that home is in a casket, which is Mm -hmm. absolutely horrifying because the concept of divorce doesn't really exist there in the way that it does here. So, I mean, somebody in the relationship has to die. Like she could be a widow or she could herself die. Yes. The only way right. she's going to leave his household is in a casket. Yeah. So it just, to me, I, that was very, very sad to hear something like that. Um, yeah. And then to know that there are young women that are being forced into marriages in itself is, is extremely sad to me. But at the tender age of 19, two years into her unhappy marriage, Azim runs away, which 
I probably would have done maybe not two years after, maybe right mm -hmm. away. But she runs away and begins working as a hostess for a bus company. She basically welcomes passengers, offers prayers for a safe journey, and serves food and drinks to passengers. And this is her way of earning a little money and getting herself out of the situation that she was in previously. Mm -hmm. I think she, at that point, was willing to do whatever she had to do to get the heck out of there and to make a new life for herself. And her new position allows her enough money to get out of there and to move to Islamabad in Pakistan. Hmm. And okay. it's a it's a bit of a larger city, and it yeah, offers that's her very, like a metropolitan city. Yeah, and I'm sure it was a night and day difference from being in mm -hmm. that small town that she grew up in. And this gives her a chance to do something dramatically different with her life, and I think she was thrilled at the opportunity. Um, not long after arriving there, she met a man who was a manager for models, and she jumped at the chance. Um, it was during this time that Azim started going by the name. Kandil Balok. She started with the small shows for models, intending to use these as a stepping stone for larger commercial things like movies, etc., so she could make more money. Mm -hmm. Now, this is about 2013 in Pakistan, and Kandil auditions for Pakistan Idol, just like their version of American Idol. Okay. And during the audition, she really hams it up, insisting that she's really nervous and shy and that they have to kind of prod her to sing. And they go through this whole thing with her. And you, I think you can see the videos of this online, but they made her audition into sort of this humorous version. And when she did actually start singing, it was awful. So they put like sound effects and they put like little special things oh, above no. the judge's head, like, like hot air. Like they mm. made it into a very, very humorous and like, yeah. Um, they, they, they definitely had a script for it. It was all planned out right. according to what she says. And it was like, it was meant to be this way. Okay. Okay. So this makes her audition humorous, but somewhat mean kind of, I think claiming yeah. that this girl was very ambitious and she wanted to be a big star, but she had no talent. So yeah, it was a very, I think kind of belittling sort of a thing for her but I don't think that in in the position that she was in that she cared she was like I think that that got her to realize that any attention was good and that right. anything that it took to get her name on people's lips and get them to say her name was okay with her see and that's why I hate like that's why I hate American Idol and I never watched it because the beginning of it is just about making fun of people. Yeah, and it's at the and expense. It's yeah, it's at the expense of these poor kids, and they're doing. Yeah, they're doing it because they want people to. You know, they, there's that small chance that even though they have a negative, you know, impression of them, that they're still going to be famous. Like, right? What was that? Um, Hung William Hung or whatever his name William was. Hung, yeah, uh -huh. that got, and then he ended up getting like a music video and a song and everything out of it yeah. on his own. Yeah, but. It's just, it's a really kind of a mean way to, it is. to go about doing it. But it that. sounds like she was in on it. She says she was, and that okay. it was all stage, and she acted to make it funny, and then she got maximum coverage out of it. So she said she okay. basically used it to get what she wanted. Okay. And she learned from the experience that you didn't need to be talented to have people know your name, and that infamy, humor, and bad behavior could get you exposure just as effectively, Right. Oh, uh, if there's any lesson from the 2010s, it's that. Right? So Balok then began a rapid path to success by building a social media following for her crazy controversial antics, pictures, videos, and comments. So she basically was doing everything she could just to build, like, the maximum controversy on social media. Hmm. Okay. And 
in the largely conservative Pakistan community that she lived in, she was becoming more and more bold and outrageous, and she was gaining a lot of enemies at the same time. Mm. Um, she did have a catchphrase, and it was, how I'm looking, or how am I looking, essentially. And she okay. would also use one called, my head hurts, or she would say, my head hurts, in kind of a funny or catchy tone. And I guess these things like really caught on for the the youth that were looking at it in her region right. and her phrase. So she was like an early influencer yes. kind of a thing. Yes. Okay. I don't necessarily think early because there were other people that were doing it extensively during that time period as well, but there was not anyone like her doing it in Pakistan. Right. Like okay. She was kind of the first to do it there. And her catchphrases became so popular that many Pakistani youth started using them regularly. And wow. she really started becoming known in the Pakistan. She was known as the Pakistani Kim Kardashian. I was about to say, like, I was going to use that name. But then I was like, no, I don't think I want to. Because that's like the comparison everybody makes. And she was, she was really pretty. Like, she, yeah. she was a gorgeous woman. But others felt that she was more significant than Kim Kardashian because she was going against the norms of society, creating this new kind mm-hmm. of vision of what it meant to be a woman. She was doing what she was what she wanted, and she was bucking tradition. And then she was also using her influence to sort of advocate for women's rights in sort of a mm, more okay. roundabout way. Like, she wasn't mm-hmm. like, hey, women need more of a vote, in, in a way kind of like people had done in Great Britain and here in the U.S. and things like that, but she was in her own way advocating for women's rights, if you can kind of understand that. But in 2015, I believe she was one of the 10 most Googled people in Pakistan. Wow. And that's a very, very large population of people. So she starts appearing on Pakistani talk shows. She's performing songs and discussing her social media rise to fame. Can she actually sing? Um, I think she can. I think that okay. they hammed it up in Pakistani okay. Idol. I think she's okay at it. I don't think she's like Beyonce or anything, but she was okay. Right. And the thing is, okay. even if you're awful, they can still make you sound good with all the technical sure. equipment. That they, I mean, if they can make yeah. Paris Hilton sound good on a soundtrack, <laughs> <laughs> they can make anybody sound yeah. good, right? Yeah. Um, so she's making viral videos, and she's getting more and more scandalous and controversial as she rises to fame, and absolutely nothing is off limits to her. And the thing is, it's funny because if you look at it, you know, in the context of what we see here in the U.S., like it's her, she's tame. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. a thousand, a hundred it's thousand like wild other, in Pakistan, yeah. yeah, a hundred thousand other TikTok accounts and Instagram influencers and all are already doing all this stuff and have been doing it right. for years. But she's kind of doing strip teases. She's you know making statements. She's showing her body off, and she's. Basically, nothing is off limits to her. She's talking about Mm -hmm. politicians. She's talking about the clergy. And this is really getting her a lot of negative attention, as well Mm -hmm. as getting her popularity, influence, and money. She's getting people who are threatening her life. Mm -hmm. Like, she's getting hundreds and hundreds of comments on her posts that are like, we wish you would die. You know, somebody kill her. She needs to shut up. No one needs to hear this. And just very, very awful bad things from both men and women, like threatening her Mm -hmm. life, which is something that... I don't think is tolerated as much here. I think once something like that happens, that person can be reported and then you, they can get kicked off the platform. And there's just, I think there's a, a lower tolerance barrier for death threats and things on social media. Here. Uh, I don't know. You don't think so? I, no, I don't think so. I think it happens a lot here. A lot. It's a, apparently, I mean, obviously it happens mostly to women. But Famous women. 
in any case, she was getting that kind of stuff. They were like, somebody mm-hmm. needs to kill her, somebody find her and kill her, like stuff like that. Jeez. Just really, really scary kind of things. And by then, she's living in Karachi. And this is mm-hmm. the largest city in Pakistan. And she's sending money home and essentially supporting her family because she's making okay. a lot of money. So she's still in touch with her family. Yes. She's okay. she's caring for her parents and sending them money and, and being a dutiful and good daughter. She still mm-hmm. loves her parents. She has not disrespected her parents in the traditional sense as much as there are people that felt like her doing what she was doing on social media, showing her body and, and doing strip teases and promising, you know, there's a, a famous cricket captain that she promised she was going to do a full strip tease on Facebook Live if they won some championship or something. Mm-hmm. And people were just very scandalized by that in that kind of a conservative area and they were like she's shaming her family by doing things like this but her family she was still able to stay in touch with them even though she left her marriage yes yes okay she didn't didn't, like break apart no she didn't drop contact with her parents she was in constant contact with them she was sending money i believe she was visiting them on occasion as well so there was no sense that they had cut her off because she decided to be a social media starlet Um, But Mm -hmm. I do think that there were many people, including her own family members, that felt as though doing what she was doing was shaming their family. Okay. I don't necessarily think that that was her parents' viewpoint, but her I know that her brothers felt that way, and many other people within her little village that she grew up in. And um, her videos are getting increasingly controversial, and she's basically saying that the politicians are idiots, and she's... um, also meeting with clergymen and at one point she meets with a more popular clergyman who does a lot of social media and a lot of like news program he's doing talk shows and things like that he was one of the more popular clergy in the area and she meets with them at a local hotel and then she's like tweeting about it the whole time and claims that he acted inappropriately with her when she was in what is his she hotel doing room. with them what like what are they doing in these meetings? i don't know there are a lot of people within here that say that she initially was interested in exploring religion and just becoming a more religious person and then she asked to meet with him because she met him on a talk show initially this particular okay. clergyman and they got along kind of well and had some banter back and forth and i think she said you know i'm interested in learning more about religion and he was like hey if i'm ever in the area i would like to meet up with you and he came to the area i don't know if it was all above board but she, right. she claims that he acted inappropriately. But then other people okay. were like, well, why would she go to his hotel room if she wasn't expecting something to happen inappropriately? Who goes mm. to a hotel room, right? You okay. just don't do that. So she's taking pictures of all this. She's live tweeting like pictures of her in like a hat of his and like just doing some other things that made it appear as though he was doing some really scandalous stuff. And this is a clergyman that shouldn't be doing that anyway, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she gets this guy suspended like from his position. So it ends up like not doing well for a lot of people and people are upset. They think she's disrespecting the clergy and that she shouldn't be doing this. And so there's like a lot of outrage that's going on behind all this. And she's showing too much skin. They're saying she's dancing, she's strip teasing and she's in this society where it's unheard of for women to do this. And so the reception was wildly varying though People, some people were outraged by this whole thing because they said, this is very disrespectful, this is sacrilegious, etc. And then there's this also fascinated portion of the population that's never seen this kind of behavior from women mm. before. And so they're like, they don't really know how to react to her. They're just watching mm. it like you would watch a car accident. Like you're, you can't look away, right? Yeah. She was bold, she was unafraid, and she refused to back down. And that is not how women were trained to be and taught to be mm-hmm. in that part of the world. So... 
In the meantime, though, she's got comments that are being posted on her um, social media accounts saying that she should be shot, killed, tortured, raped, etc. They're posting pictures of guns and saying they will hunt her down and kill her to shut her up. Mm. Which scary. Horrifying, right? She's literally getting thousands of angry comments posted on each site, like, daily, with both men and women making the threats. Mm. And when she did respond, she told them to leave her alone. She's like, look, mm-hmm. you know, I think she took some of it personally. I mean, you can't be in, a, in the public eye and have people say stuff like that and not be impacted in some way, sure. shape, or form. But she's like, look, just don't follow me. Don't come to my Facebook page. Don't right. look at my stuff. If you don't like me, don't look at me, which makes right. freaking absolute perfect sense. Like, if you don't like something and the way somebody's doing something, then don't be around them. Don't yeah, look like at their stuff. Yeah, you don't have to seek it out. It's you don't not have like to go watch like it. forcing it on you. Right? Yeah. So I, I get that. I mean, she and she refused to back down. She's like, I'm going to get the attention that I deserve. And if you don't like it, go look at something else. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people there found that very confusing because there's this way that they're taught to be in that country and in that region. And she was doing exactly opposite. So they're like, what, what needs to happen with, we need to stop this. It's, this is well, bad. And also it's a very patriarchal society. And so a woman being told what to do and then bucking against that. Yeah is just wild yeah and she's like basically saying i'm advocating for women to have the right to do this if they want to Mm -hmm. so in a way she was kind of a pioneer um but she's constantly escalating her actions and she starts getting after the incident with the cleric she starts getting the cleric as as a whole condemning her actions and Mm -hmm. when that happens i think that that creates a sort of funnel where certain parts of the population then believe that it's okay, that it's condoned to do negative, violent, and angry things to other people in the name of religion or in the name of tradition or... Right. You know what I mean? Yes. It's almost like if you have a very influential leader telling you saying terrible things and uh, treating people terribly is okay, then it gives people permission to do those things but at the same time though i think she kind of fired it up by she started making posts and saying kind of implying that she was going to start exposing clergy mm-hmm. and that she was you know all these people are bad to the core and she's going to expose their their wrongdoings which hmm. i think that kind of like kind of lit a match underneath it as sure. well and she starts becoming a little bit more notorious and then a article posted her passport details her id her real name her job the history and all of her personal information including her father's name where she came from like very very personal information got posted in efforts to to quiet her and to shut her up that's scary yeah and this story blew up and her popularity started dropping off at that same time and I think she felt incredibly unsafe because mm-hmm. once somebody has that kind of information on you, I can't even imagine how terrifying that would be. Especially, yeah. you know, you've got thousands and thousands of followers and now all of a sudden your, your stuff is all posted on your account and they know yep. anybody can come step to you at any moment and, and do something bad to you. That mm-hmm. must have been just terrifying. Um, she decides that she's going to, she, since she's feeling very uncomfortable, first she requests police assistance she requests an Mm -hmm. escort she she wants help and she goes straight to law enforcement and asks them help me i feel unsafe and they basically ignored her Hmm. and she decides that she's going to go home um she's going to leave her karachi home and she's going to go back to her family and spend some time kind of laying low with her family 
Okay. Which, you know, is you've got two sisters and six brothers and your mom and dad. If you're going to feel right. safe, you're going to feel safe there, right? Yeah. With six, yeah. With six brothers, presumably, to, to help defend you and protect you, right? Well, and also it's the sense of, like, going back home, like, and having people take care of you. Like, that's what you, that's like an innate instinct. Right. You know what I mean? So she's laying low and she's hanging out with her family and waiting for the storm to blow over. So this, fast forward, this is July 15th, 2016. And this is the evening. She's sitting at home with her family and they're kind of eating and drinking and just relaxing. And one of her brothers comes over and he makes the family some cocktails before bed and he puts something in it to knock them all out. Like it's a kind of a milky drink and he puts some kind of a, a sedative in it that like basically knocks everyone out. So they, they were drinking alcohol. Uh, I don't think so. I think it was a kind of a milky drink. Oh, okay. Like, sorry, you said cocktail. Sorry. That, they were, they were having, because... they were having a drink prior to going to bed. Like, I think it was like a warm milk kind of a drink or something okay, like that. Okay. 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 Is okay. what I heard. So gotcha. no one, I didn't, none of the sources specifically said exactly what it was they were drinking, but it mm-hmm. was a milk based sort of a drink. So. Right. I just, it threw me off cause some Muslims do drink alcohol. Some don't. So I wasn't sure. But gotcha. the next morning, the whole family wakes up and they discover that Balok has been strangled. <gasps> what? Yeah. They go to find her and she's not responsive and they discover that she's been strangled overnight. Now, there's been some things that were moved around in the room, some objects were taken, etc. but she's dead the next morning. Oh my God. And her mother, I, I think it was her mother that found her and her father reported it to the authorities immediately. And according to reports during that period, her brother allegedly brought a cousin over to the house after he drugged them. And they kind of ransacked the house and stole a few things. And the brother claims that he was initially going to be the one to strangle her, but he didn't have the guts. And then he said he didn't do it, that the cousin did it, but then the cousin says he did it, and there's some kind of debate as to whether it was him or the cousin that actually strangled her. But people in the village reported seeing the brother in the village the morning after bragging about killing her. Oh, my God. Bragging about killing did, his sister. When the family woke up the next morning, did they realize they had been drugged? I think that they were not really clear on what happened. I think they were groggy, okay. and they were like, wow, this is weird. But I think that it's such a foreign thing for someone who's never been sure. in, in, in a, you're in a smaller village. They're not exposed to social media or stories mm-hmm. about roofies or anything like that. So I think that they were not really sure what happened. Okay. I don't know that they knew necessarily that they'd been drugged, but they knew something okay. was off, and it was weird, and everything was quiet, and they just... And then to find her dead, they're just, they knew that Gosh. the son was involved. And in the meantime, he's in the village bragging about killing her. And he's saying that this was an honor killing, that he did it for his family, that he had to stop her because she was shaming them. So let's stop for a moment and kind of talk about honor killings. So this gruesome phenomena is also called a shame killing. And it occurs, it's basically a murder that takes place by a family member or someone close to that person because there's some sort of belief that the murdered family member sought or brought shame or dishonor upon the family. Mm -hmm. So some of the reasons that honor killings can occur are divorce, separation, refusing an arranged marriage, relationships without, excuse me, relationships with a different social group outside of the families, premarital or extramarital sex, being the victim of rape assault, dressing or acting inappropriately, 
or same-sex relationships, engaging in same-sex relationships. And in almost always, the quote-unquote offender is a woman. Yeah. It can be either, but the vast... It can be, but But the vast majority of cases end up being the woman is the victim. Yeah. Um, And then in some countries, the justice system will not prosecute or punish the crimes related to honor killings. Yeah. Because these honor killings are considered a way to maintain the status quo and traditions and to keep people in line. So Mm -hmm. they're designed to show you that, hey, if you step out of line and you do what you're not supposed to do, then this is what will happen to you. So you need to keep Mm -hmm. your boundaries. Um, And then some countries have reduced penalties for honor killings. Um, In Pakistan, honor killings are extremely common and rates of prosecution and conviction are as low as 2%. Wow. Um, Usually they're siblings or parents or spouses that are involved in the honor killings. Mm -hmm. And women, again, like we said, are most often the victims. Shockingly, after Balogh's death, the reaction was mixed. Some people thought that, hey, we're, we're, we're glad this was done and this was necessary and it had to be done and that's it. And others were outraged that this person who killed her was not going to be in trouble or be held responsible for murdering this young woman. There were protests and vigils held by women's rights groups around the world after they discovered that Balok had been killed. Um, Interestingly enough, they say that around that time period, about a thousand people a year in Pakistan are victims of honor killings. Jeez. A thousand people. Women, primarily. Mm-hmm. And Pakistan had a sort of a loophole in the laws that allowed the family of the person killed to forgive the murderer or accept financial compensation, and the murderer would be released instead of prosecuted. The courts would let Whoa. it go. There was no okay. proof required, only suspicion in honor killings. So that, and most often they happened within families. So this was another factor resulting in lack of prosecution because the family would just be like, hey, you know, we're really sorry, we understand, we forgive you, we're moving on. Wow. So if you have a family member involved in an honor killing, they're less likely to push for prosecution, right? Mm-hmm. That's the presumption, right? And as a result of all this, Balok's brother proudly told the police that he killed his sister for legitimate reasons. They were brought on by her when they brought him in. So he was like, she brought this on herself. She shamed us. She dishonored us. I did what I had to do. These are the rules of society. This was an honor killing. You can't do anything. Oh, my gosh. However, because this was such a highly visible case and Kandil was so well known, there was lots of pressure for the Pakistani government to step up and prosecute with stricter enforcement. Um, in October 2016, Pakistani government passed new, legislation, passed new legislation to end honor killings and provide stricter penalties for rape. So October 2016, Pakistani government passed new legislation to end honor killings and to provide stricter penalties for rape. Mm-hmm. Families could no longer use the excuse that that person brought it on themselves, so to speak, and they couldn't pardon the murderer anymore. Mm. The only thing that they could do was to pardon the death penalty portion of it. They would still have to spend life in prison for an honor killing. Wow. So um, at that point, Kandil's brother does a backpedal step and is like, wait, 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 no, I didn't do it. My cousin did it. I couldn't do it. I I lost. I just said I did because I was, you know, in the moment or whatever. So it's interesting when you look at this case because initially the parents supported their daughter. So 
in cases like this, normally they would not have supported her because she lived kind of such a, a lifestyle that was outside of the bounds. Uh-huh. But in this case, they supported her. And they wanted their son fully prosecuted for killing Condil. And they were advocating for the strictest punishment possible for their daughter. And she had they said she had provided for them and was better than their sons. And this was very, very wow. unusual. Yeah, extremely like rare for someone in that position to do something like that because it is a very you know patriarchal mm-hmm. type of, of society, and I think for someone to step up and say that their daughter was more important than their sons was like w- bizarre, yeah. right? And the trial actually took three years, although Condiel's brother was the main defendant. There were a lot of other people that were pulled into this and tried as well. All of her brothers, her cousins that were also accused, as well as the clergyman. Whoa. That she had supposedly brought down. Um, everyone, though, but Condiel's brother was ultimately acquitted. Um, some people actually said that the cleric had paid Condiel's brothers and paid off investigators to influence the trial. Whoa. That it was that, like, a big scandal, right? Eventually, Condiel's parents changed their stance for the punishment of their son. They said they forgave him, and they begged the judge to forgive him as well. They didn't want him to be put to death. Initially, they were like, hang him, like, he deserves it. And then after a while, they kind of backpedaled. Mm-hmm. September 27th, 2019, the judge sentenced Condiel's brother to life in prison. Wow. But I think the problem is that there are still hundreds of honor killings in Pakistan every year. Mm-hmm. And in that region in, in particular. So it's interesting because I think that there is sort of an unwillingness in many instances for families to step up and show who the person is that actually did it. So because they've gotten rid of the regulations that allow honor killings to happen with forgiveness for the family, Mm -hmm. somebody would do it and then they would know who did it, but they wouldn't tell the authorities. So the authorities can't prosecute if they don't know who specifically within that family killed that person or not. So it's still an honor killing, but if they don't have anyone specifically proof against anyone in particular, they can't prosecute the whole family. Mm -hmm. So it's, Frightening. Yeah. Well, I and I guess there's also because this is still a relatively new change in the law. I I wonder if there's also mm. like cultural, um, community wide repercussions too for you know to like give somebody up. Yeah. That. I mean, in this age of social media, I think it's um it's created a lot of issues within some of these more traditional type societies. Mm-hmm. And I think her behavior was outrageous. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like there was a lot of really crazy stuff that she did. And I think that we tend to downplay a lot of that because we see it so much. We're kind of desensitized to it, but um, her murder was condemned by many people, but there's still a massive portion of the Pakistani population that supported her murder, which is even yeah more shocking than the behavior that she did. But yes, her behavior was outrageous, but she didn't deserve to be killed right, because right. of it. So, I mean, ultimately her death resulted in significant changes in Pakistani legislation that are still, you know, in place today. And they're still kind of making more changes, but there's still a long way to yeah. go, like so far to go. We tend to think of things in terms of U.S. culture and here Condiel's actions would hardly have raised eyebrows, mm-hmm. I think. But in Pakistan and Southeast Asia, Kandil was an anomaly as a woman because she spoke her mind and she did what she wanted and she ignored the rules. She was outspoken. She was determined. She was independent. She was outrageous. And she made her way, her own way financially, supporting herself and her family as a social media starlet. 
and her career as an influencer allowed her to advocate on behalf of women in a way that we don't necessarily think of in the traditional women's rights sort of a way, but she was advocating as a mm -hmm. woman's rights advocate. Um, and ultimately, this brave, strong, independent woman died for her beliefs yeah. and her lifestyle. And it's shocking to us to hear that such a thing could even happen in, in the world today, but it does. It happens every day in some of these countries. You know, we, we think of ourselves in terms of our own small spheres of influence, but we live in a world where women could be killed for making posts on Facebook mm -hmm. or Twitter and for changing perceptions or simply showing skin mm -hmm. or refusing to accept traditional roles in society. And we may not agree with Condil's antics, but her final goal was one that we should all support, and that is the basic right of a woman to live, love, and do what she wants with her body and her life. Yeah, right? and have autonomy. Right, and as long as she isn't killing anyone or committing any crimes or hurting anyone, right. what, harm, what harm is she really right. doing? If we don't like it, don't look at it. Like she said. And how old was she when she was murdered? Um, like young 20s? She was born in 1990 and she was killed in 2016. Yeah, she's real young. Wow. It just, it's a really um, very, very sad case for me. And it, to me, it drew me in. Um, I've always been interested in like Asian and Southeast Asian culture mm -hmm. just in general and how different it is from our own and the, the different portions of that. And then I started hearing about the honor killings concept um, I know, a few years back and was just like, this is such a horrifying thing that someone can end your life because they deem your behavior um, against tradition mm -hmm. or, or wrong. They still stone just people to do death. I mean, yeah, for basically doing something like divorcing your husband who's beating yeah. you. So what's interesting is later on, um, number one, her mother, when preparing her daughter's body for burial, burial um, which they still do over mm -hmm. there. Like they don't bring you to a coroner and have the coroner do it. They do it themselves and they paint their hands with henna and things like that. And she found cigarette burn marks on her daughter's arms that she thinks were from the oh. abuse that she was suffering from her first husband. Oh, wow. Her husband. She was only married that one time. But she was buried and they put her in white and they handed her and they gave her honors. So she was basically buried as a martyr. Wow. So her parents were saying this woman died for her beliefs and for a, a cause. Yeah. So, which is a big, big, big thing there. Because I think in, if had she not been who she was and as influential as she was within their society, I don't think she necessarily would have gotten that benefit. And I think in most instances she would have been buried in shame mm -hmm. and the family would have basically, you know, almost like disowned her, so to speak. Wow. So it's a very, very sad story that I think is, I don't, I think social media played a huge part of that because I just don't think she would have been able to do what she did without social media. Sure. She wouldn't have been able to become who she became. Sure, yeah. I mean, she definitely was able to use social media to create a new world for herself. Yeah. I mean... And I think that's what a lot of women and men are doing mm -hmm. in the world today that are achieving success and making a living and... and carving out an existence for themselves when they never would have been able to do that 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, interesting. Yeah. And L LGBTQ people that would have been belittled and harassed and harmed for their, the way they live their lives can now, you know, make platforms on there where they're, you know, able to do makeup and, and show different things about their personalities to make it more of a norm so that people will stop 
harassing them and, and picking on them and harming them. Well, it gives you a chance to find other people that are like you, especially if you're in a small town where it's yep. basically like the footloose town, you know, and then you yeah. obviously are very yeah. different and you want something different for yourself. You can hop on the internet and find that, but that also opens you up to the anonymous criticism yeah. and the harassment and the death threats. And so it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword. Yeah. I mean, anytime you put yourself out there in the public yeah. eye, even just doing what we're doing now, we don't do it quite to the degree that Condiel was doing, but, um, it's scary. Yeah. I don't know that I have, you have to be a really bold, brave person to put yourself out yeah. like that and, and expose yourself to that extreme criticism because people are Especially mean. as a woman. Yeah. People are really, really yep. mean. If they see one little thing they consider a flaw, they will tear you apart yep. from limb to limb and and expose everything they think is your weakness. And that's kind of scary. Yep. But anyway, anything else to add? No, I don't have anything else to add. In that case, we're going to go ahead and wrap the episode up for the day. Please rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We're at thebfdpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing you guys' emails with suggestions and different things that you have um, as far as commenting on the show. Darcy, social media? Yeah, we are at the BFD Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So we'll put like pictures and show notes and all that good stuff there too. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>